Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Riddles in the Dark Supererogatory. Uh, this is Corey Olson, the Tolkien Professor, talking. Laura uh, couldn't be with us again this time, sadly. Um, she's been uh, on the road and really busy lately, and uh, we had to reschedule. So Trish has very generously volunteered to join me again this morning as we <laughs> talk our way through... Like you really had to twist my arm. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't make the the fact that the gener- that, that oh, the generosity okay. is spontaneous doesn't make it not generosity. Um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so we're going to be talking uh, about uh, uh, listener reactions to Riddle Nine and Riddle Ten. The, these are the two Dal Guldur riddles. Riddle Nine, in which we talked about uh, the good guys, you know, the uh, the White Council angle of Dal Guldur, and Riddle Ten, in which we talk about uh, Sauron and uh, the bad guys and their whole attitude towards Del Kultur, uh and the battle there. Um, so we have, we have a bunch of really good comments to share with you. If uh, those of you who are here with us live, if you have other, um, you know, sort of thoughts and, 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 and questions and comments as we go along, feel free to share those and we'll be able to get those as we go along. Um, but, uh, but without further ado, Trish, let's start talking about okay. uh, Riddle 9. Okay, so Riddle 9 was uh, what becomes of Radagast in movie 3. Um, A, he lives and disappears from the story, book answer. B, he is killed at Dal Guldur. C, he is killed at the Battle of Five Armies. D, he is killed by Saruman, which trumps B or C, regardless, in other words, regardless of where it is. And E is none of the above. So Corey and Dave both answered D, he is killed by Saruman. Cool. I answered B, he is killed at Dal Guldur because I couldn't... I couldn't, I decided that, you know, maybe even though I'm enamored of the idea of being killed by Saruman, that somehow I just don't see that happening. And, and Laura went with the book answer. He lives and disappears from the story. Now, I have a feeling that Laura, bless her heart, didn't, uh, wasn't burdened by having to listen to our episode to decide what the answer was. <laughs> so she, she's coming at this very cleanly. <laughs> right. Um, but 19% of the listeners also said A. Exactly. 40, 41 said B, which was, my, you know, agreed with me. Nobody said C, so nobody believes that Radagast Not a single person believes he's going to make armies. it to the Battle of Five Armies. Yeah. Now, or, 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 of course, oh. you know, of, of the E people who say none of the above, of course, one of the right. none of the above options is that, you know, he lives through the entirety of film three and goes into some kind of happy retirement at the end. So conceivably... Uh, I thought that was A, that he lives and disappears from the story? Well, no, it, uh, he, that's not disappearing oh. from the story. Oh, got it, got it, got it. He stays in the story. I see. Okay. Boy. Yeah. Early in the morning for those kind of nuances. Okay, got it. In fact, I was going to say, well, we had 22, 22% agreed with, um, with uh, Corey and Dave. Um, and then 19% said E. And I don't know if anybody listening live today was of the E camp, but I'd love to know what... what uh, do you remember what any of the E people said? Did I don't remember anybody? offhand, but I, I, this is exa- it's, it's one of the things I'm always interested in. I mean, as you guys know, one of the you know one my main focus in 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 both thinking you know devising riddles in the first place and responding to riddles in the second place <laughs> is um is 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 storytelling. You know, for me, this is all about storytelling, and it's it's what I am fascinated by, and it's one of the reasons, one of the bigger reasons why <clears throat> I just like am more and more not in camp with purists and their response to the films, because to me, the, the most important question is not, um, how, how, how exactly does it replicate what Tolkien said in the books, but how well does it handle the story or, you know, how well does it handle its own story? What, how good of a story does it tell? 
And, right. and of course, I'm very interested to compare and contrast the story that the film tells with the story that Tolkien tells in the books. And sometimes I find, you know, sort of approaching it that way, um, you know, leads me to, to find some really interesting connections and, 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 and resonances that, you know, people who are only focused on, you know, how precisely does it stick with what it, you know, how things proceed in the book don't, don't really, don't really come to. But, um, but that's okay. You know, as I said, I think, uh, I don't know, last time or the time before last, um, you know, in my, uh, in my determination this year to vote for riddles based not on what I think is likely, but what I think would be awesome. Um, one, one of my primary criteria for what I think would be awesome is not just objectively, not just if I had been writing these stories from the beginning, how would I have been doing this, but how does it fit in with the story they're already telling? You know, how, that's why, um, even though I'm only thinking about what will be awesome, um, uh, what has happened in the first two films are a big part of that because of course if they suddenly take a you know take a right hand turn and go in a 90 degree different direction in film 3 even if it's a direction that i really like that's not necessarily going to be a great story overall right. so right. um right. so i'm very interested in that so anyway, I am always interested to hear what people's concepts are for E uh, when they vote none of the above. Um, uh, and of course, I'm hoping that not too many people are voting none of the above out of a kind of, uh, you know, simply out of cowardice. I would hope that very few people uh, are <laughs> well, doing that. Now, we do try in our episodes to sort of come up with some scenarios for E. Mm -hmm. um, what would Let's try that again. I mean, what would be some scenarios for this? Like you just mentioned, is that he lives, stays in the story and lives to a yeah, ripe I mean, old age. Exactly. You know? I mean, if, if, he's, if he's, you know, present all the way through, you know, central in the victory at Del Guldur and then central at the victory of the Battle of Five Armies, I mean, I think we'd have to say that that was E. Um, mm -hmm. Again, the book answer is, I mean, the, the the challenge, of course, with making a book answer about Radagast is that he's not really in the book. I mean, he's referred <laughs> to, um, but he never really plays a role. So I would think any answer which makes, you know, Radagast a central player, or even, even a, you know, uh, a relatively significant minor player uh, in in the latter portions of this story um, would not really couldn't really be called the book answer couldn't really be called a. If only Gandalf wasn't carrying Radagast's staff in mm -hmm. photos, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, I that's just to me that I keep getting hung up on that because of, obviously, if you know, if he's got Radagast's staff and if Radagast's alive, I mean, what's Radagast got? The, the Thorin's log. <laughs> right. <laughs> and then he throws it to Thorin in the Battle of Five Armies, you know. Right, right, right. He's just in the tool distribution uh, line, really. I, I could totally live with it if, if Renegast survived, you know, but I just, it's just, I, I, I can't get my, I just don't think that's going to happen. I mean, and you, the drama and all that of, you know, of having Radagast die a particularly dramatic death, especially if he's, you know, risking his life to save Gandalf and that kind of thing. I mean, that to me would be the kind of thing Jackson would do. And it just seems as well, I mean, the, the way that they've done Radagast's character, you know, I mean, I think Dave and I were predicting Radagast's death before we even heard anything about Radagast. I mean, I remember the first, the first news we got, the, the, the news about the, Bird poop and the bunny sled first broke after that uh, CinemaCon uh, right, ten minute right. screening, uh, right. ten or twenty minute screening, leading up to the unexpected journey. 
And that's when we started getting reports from the people who were there, like, uh, Radagast has birds under his hat, poop all over his face, and a bunny sled. Uh, and people were like, no, not really. That's not really going to happen. Um, right. But, I mean, right. so even, bef- even before we learned about the mm, eccentricities of uh, of of Radagast's character, we were sort of, Dave and I were anticipating his death. Um, after seeing the eccentricities of his character, I feel even more confident. It seems to me like there's only one of two really uh, sort of sensible results, like, you know, uh, endpoints for the arc of Radagast's character. And that is um, because, uh, and and let me explain what I mean by that. He's clearly an outsider, right? I mean, uh, uh, Saruman's reaction to him made that clear. His non-invitation to the meeting at, Rivendell made that even right. more co- I mean he was right there I mean yeah he was leading the, the <laughs> orcs away <laughs> but he never he never really went that far away you know I mean he was he, clearly he could have uh, he could have circled back from the ten yards sure. away he led the orcs and uh, uh, and, and look how fast he showed up at the high fells exactly exactly so you know yeah. I, I, clearly he could have but yet he, he there doesn't even seem to be no, no one even asked you know, like you just met Radagast. Where is he? Like, why isn't he right. here? That, that was, it was, it was clearly not on the table. Nobody I mean, surprised. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. so Radagast is an outsider, and again, that clearly seems to be part of his character. I mean, at this, you know, juxtaposed. I mean, not 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 like right next to each other, juxtaposed, but juxtaposed with that scene in 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 Rivendell, where we really kind of, I think, are seeing Gandalf in his. Um, you know, sort of natural habitat, as it were. You know, that is, we meet Gandalf and we see Gandalf, you know, interacting with the hobbits and visiting Bag End and, and traveling with them and everything. But there was a sense, anyway, that I think Film One gave us that when we saw him interacting with Galadriel and sitting around the table with, uh, you know, with Elrond and Saruman, that we're really seeing Gandalf in, like, what is pretty much his natural habitat. You know, this is... This is the level on which Gandalf is... Re- this is like the true Gandalf. You know, the Gandalf in which he's really... Right. Uh, the, the the way in which he's really operating. When he is, you know, just this traveling wizard showing up at Bag End, the people involved aren't really... Don't re- they don't know who he is. You know, they don't, they don't appreciate the significance of who he is yeah. and what he's doing. Yeah. With Radagast, his natural environment, obviously, was at Ross Goble with his hedgehog, you know, and his mice and his, bir- and his birds. Um, that's his world, you know, that's his culture. He doesn't fit in, not only with the, with the, with people, but, but with the wizards in particular. Um, had he been sitting there, had he been invited, um, you know, he wouldn't have fit, you know, him sitting around that table, you know, had they pulled up another chair, uh, to that little table in, 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 in Rivendell. I mean, how weird would he have looked there? It would not have appeared oh, yeah. like yeah. that was his natural environment. So again, he, he's an outsider. Um, even though he is, he is a wizard and is, is, you know, one of Gandalf's, you know, sort of kin or order, he is, he, he doesn't fit in. Um, and so it seems to me that there are two, two really sort of satisfying stories that, you know, are sort of endpoints to the arc of that kind of an outsider. One would be his, um, his, his coming, basically people coming to accept and appreciate him like, okay, you know. Radagast, you're kooky, but you're okay. You know, like that for for that to be sort of the general. I'm beginning to think more and more I should rename my property Ross Goble because I have a lot in common with Radagast. You, you, well, you know, I call your property Ross Goble, so you know, 
whether you do or not is kind of up to I'm you. Trying to but... be a lot more lofty, you know, calling it Envinia. Envinia. Trying to be a little bit more, you know. Yeah, that's like a, a little more Numenorian, less. Uh, Numenorian, yeah, yeah, yeah as, exactly. You know, but actually, I, the more you're talking, the more I'm thinking. I think I have more in common with this movie Radagast. Exactly. Than I really care to, exactly. Care to think about. Anyway, sorry. Well, and of course, yeah, the other, the other, the other logical end is death. You know, for him to, you know, yes. he's he's been yeah. the outsider all along, and then yes. you know he he died and dies a significant death. You know, but basically, is he ever gonna be integrated? It's one of the, it's one of the 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 movements. It seems to me that things are going towards. We saw this in film too, right? You know, as yeah. Sauron emerges, you know, lines are coming to be, lines are being drawn. Torio has been the spokesperson for this, right? You know, Torio is seeing, look. Um, you know, the emergence of this darkness in the woods is an indicator, you know, lines are being drawn. We have to just, you know, we can't just stand on our own. This is our fight. It seems like it doesn't relate to us now, but it does. Like all of those, you know, all of the free peoples need to join together against this or we're all going to be individually destroyed. That's a very Tolkien idea, right? Um, And, um, you know, so, so again, basically for this reason, Either Radagast has to be integrated at the end, you know, accepted as one of the good guys, as one of the free peoples, you know, and and valued by somebody other than Gandalf, um, or he's gonna die, you know. I mean, right. I, I, and I can't really see any other sort of. He, he can't right. just, you know, it's it, nobody can just stay, you know, can just have things as they were anymore. Again, that's another very Lord of the Rings theme, right? Um, right. One way or another, change is coming. Well, and, and also, you know, th- there's the there's the sort of practical, you know, stepping out of the movie, which I'm only going to do this for a split second of saying, you know, we have that issue of Radagast not showing up in Lord of the Rings, which, you right. know, we've talked about before. But d- besides that, I, let's, you know, there are going to be movie tropes. There are movie tropes in right. these movies. Okay, so there, I think that Radagast is the is the sidekick movie trope. He's the Tonto to Gandalf's Lone Ranger. He's right. the Poncho to you know to, to Gandalf Cisco, and you know in movies oftentimes the the clownish you know comic sidekick does buy the farm right. in movies because they're not serials they have to go on and on and on, and I just see that kind of arc happening with Radagast. You know he's going to pull off something extremely brave. I think at Dol Guldur, you know, and his death will not be in vain kind of thing you know he will die that the war of the ring can live on kind of thing but i do think that i just think that that's the logical you know and and to that particular trope right right yeah no i, I mean <clears throat> i agree that makes sense i mean that 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 seems to me really one of the very most satisfying um trajectories that they could take radagast's right. character on here and you know and the fact is Although goodness knows, I would never have in like left to myself had somebody said, "Hey, could you write a screenplay for a Hobbit film?" Or even had they come to me and said, um, "We want to do you know what Peter Jackson wants to do. That is, you know, we want to do a Hobbit film, but we want to do it from a post Lord of the Rings standpoint. You know, so we want to do it integrating all this stuff. We want to show the big picture, not just Bilbo's point of view. You know, so basically with all of the the sort of framework assumptions." of Peter Jackson's Hobbit. Had somebody come to me and said, you know, okay, could you write this screenplay for us? Goodness knows, I would never have made Radagast like that. You know, I, I, I don't, I would never have done that. But... I would have made him more like a green man kind of... Yeah, I think I would too. Yeah, 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 exactly. More sort of, you know, 
if anything, he would have been more scary, I think. Yes, You know, yes. in that way, to make him a little yeah. bit more sort of fairy-like and intimidating. Uh, like right, medieval exactly. fairy-like and intimidating. But, right. but anyway, but they didn't do that. Um, and that's... For, but, you know, the more I think about it, the more I kind of like it. I mean, <clears throat> that is... It would have been really easy, and I think much worse, just to make Radagast a kind of, like you know, decaf Gandalf, you know, like, uh, you know, he's just like a, he's just like a, like a, like a, like Gandalf light. Uh, and, and that would have been dull and, and, and pointless. I mean, we know very little about Radagast. The only thing that we, you know, they've done as they've done with so many characters in, you know, in, in so many places where they had to give on-screen personalities to characters who really, uh, concerning whose personality were told nothing in the books. Um, where they, you know, have sort of seized upon the very little information that Tolkien does give us and expanded that outwards into a into a personality. You know, my other favorite example of this, of course, being Ori, uh, and right. the way in which they take the fact that Ori had really nice elvish handwriting, um, which is just about the only thing we know about him from, from The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings, um, uh, and, you know, and have made, you know, have sort of taken that and run with it, you know, making Ori this, uh, you know, sort of, you know, bookish, wide-eyed, uh, you know, right. uh, Nerd. you know, nerdy diarist <laughs> guy. Okay, you right. know, fine, whatever. It doesn't offend my sense of Ori. I didn't have a sense of Ori. Um, and same thing with Radagast, you know, so they've taken the only thing we knew of him, which was that, you know, his relationship with, with, uh, with birds and beasts, and birds are especially his friends, and uh, and and run with that, you know, and exaggerated it. And I think their choice to make him this kind of outsider, um, not just like another wizard like Gandalf and Saruman, who talks like them and walks like them and operates like them. Um, their choice to make him into something genuinely different. Again, I would never have thought of something like this. But, you know, the more I've kind of lived with that over the last two years, the more I've come at least to, to sort of appreciate it for what it is. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I think that it could, you know, I, I have high hopes for how that's going to work itself out in film three. We'll see if it, we'll see if it lives up to it. Um, but exactly what you described, I think would be great. The reason I have chosen D, the reason I think him being killed by Saruman is, um, uh, is, 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 is in my view, the maximally awesome answer is that it basically provides two two opportunities, not only to sort of close the loop in a satisfying way on Radagast's arc, um, having him be, be, you know, sort of, uh, you know, a sort of a, a martyr and self-sacrificing, but also that it does something with the Saruman trajectory. And again, this is a very old conversation, um, that we've been having on Riddles in the Dark for like two and a half years now, I know, um, yeah, which true. is that, you know, you can't start if Saruman's going to be in these films at all, which does seem necessary in the White Council context, um, then, you know, and we have to have a Saruman that people don't know is evil yet. And yet the right. watchers, you know, the viewers are going to know that he's evil. Um, you know, how, so to what extent are we going to see Saruman going over to the dark side, you know, or evidence that he already is in secret you know, on the dark side. Um, and I, I, I have, I have thought from the beginning that for them to avoid that entirely, just to show like they did in film one, just show, you know, a sort of cranky Saruman that nobody particularly likes, you know, somebody that you can easily see turning to evil later on, but not really, 
um, not really tipping his hand as far as, you know, has he turned evil yet? Is he, is he going to turn evil at some point soon? You know, how that's going to happen. Um, you know, not to get any transition and essentially just try to save the surprise from the Fellowship of the Ring. Um, in retrospect, I mean, preserving the surprise of a film that, you know, that came out 15 years ago is a strange thing to do. You know, a strange premise upon which to choose what to do. Um, so, yeah, I think that it's it's uh, it, it has always seemed to me that it would it would it would only be uh, chickening out for them to to not give us anything, any kind of a Saruman prequel element um, right. in the Hobbit films. So, you know, Saruman uh, Saruman's, uh, you know, conversion to evil or you know the the revelation of his evil and um and uh, radagast's death seemed to me very conveniently combinable uh conveniently combinable i should say and also seemed to me to be anticipated in the scorn with which saruman spoke of radagast uh in film one Hence your answer. Hence the answer that you came up with. Right? Exactly. Now, of course, Saruman's attitude towards Radagast, um, those readers in the dark, riddles that is Read, in the dark. In the dark. Oh, I like that. They that, might that's be readers the next in podcast, the dark. Everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it's actually kind of the subtext of this one, really. Uh, uh, but <laughs> I listen to, to books on tape. I think that makes me a reader. In the dark. A reader in the dark. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway, riddles in the dark. Listeners with long memories will recall that the depiction of Saruman in film one was a disappointment to me. Um, you know, the story that I was the that I was cheerfully weaving before seeing the film and hoping they would do um, uh, was one in and Dave and I agreed on this. I recall. Um, was one in which uh, Radagast was basically close to Saruman. You know, we 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 were hoping that Saruman's eventual betrayal and and murder of Radagast would be like a, a you know like an et tu Saruman you know like personal betrayal of Radagast, um, and come to his at his very great surprise. Um, that didn't happen, you know. The 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 sort of the, the obvious distance, you know, the, the apparent almost like non communication uh, between um, between uh, uh, Saruman and Radagast. You know, the fact that they yeah. he seemed barely yeah. even to know him really um, was a disappointment. But that's okay, you know. I, you I, know I, I I can live with that. This is a perfect time to segue into the two comments we got, which are weaving some Excellent. amazing stories. However, I'm going to ruin the segue by just making one comment Sandra Hall made <laughs> about Radagast because I wanted to include this because this is really tried and thought about. She said in some ways Radagast reminds her of, of Merlin in the Disney Sword of the Stone, which wasn't it based on uh, uh, The Once in Future Tuesday, King, yeah. Once yeah. in Future King, yeah. Um, but the way partic- particularly he was p- depicted in the in the animated Disney uh, movie, um, wizard, wizards are often kooky in fairy tales and he provides that a person of him and I hadn't really thought about that but it, I you know I wonder if there was like you know oh well you know sword in the stone make him kind of like that you know being the order <laughs> when somebody was was developing this character right. I don't know that that's so much the case as much as they keyed off of Sylvester McCoy himself right well and also don't forget you know, you know there's another major iconic kooky wizard figure um which and I forget the guy's name someone will probably remember um I'm thinking of the depiction of Merlin in uh the film Excalibur Oh, I forgot the, about that. I forget who 
did it. The, I forget the name of the actor, um, but uh, you know this was. You know, many of you may remember this film. You know, nineteen eighty. That was Polanski's movie, wasn't it? Yeah, it was Polanski did that movie. Yeah, yeah, and it was. It was. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The one with uh, Patrick Stewart Somebody's as Leo DeGrasse. Right yeah. Anyway, Whoever's on IMDb, look that up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but anyway, he he. You know, he did this kooky Merlin thing yeah, you know yeah, and, yeah, and, and yeah. it was most it was it was sort of less in his actions like he didn't do anything that he, he was less eccentric in sort of his personal behavior and practices but quite eccentric in his um, verbal mannerisms right. uh, and right. uh, and there's of course the the, sort of the famous scene when uh, Arthur first is about to meet Lancelot and um for some reason, like, is mysteriously fishing with his hands and, like, falls over comically backwards into the water. I mean, it's just, like, utterly <laughs> random, like, why they would make Merlin do that. Um, but, uh, but anyway, that's, that's just hey, to say, maybe, you're right, there is happens. a tradition. There's there. an answer, E. Radagast lives and becomes Merlin in a future era. He reemerges yeah. as Merlin. That would explain a go. lot. That, that would explain, explain a lot. lot. Yeah. Well, now I'm going to go back to the segue because we have two comments that came through on the discussion board on this, and it's it's right down that 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 lane of storytelling, and I was just sort of tickled by these two because, especially the first one, because he really paints a picture for us. Okay, so I'm going to now attempt to read this with the right amount of theatrical spunk. <laughs> I don't know. I'll, I don't think I'll get away with that. But anyway, and I'm going to try and do it slowly enough because I, I when I read I start to speed up, but I will do the best. This is from Brett. Okay. He says, I think that Galadriel will show up with Radagast and possibly Elrond. They look at the morbid land and the menacing evil that is Dal Guldur. Then there is a voice behind them. It is Beorn. He asks them if they plan on entering, and if they do, he is in. That wizard Gandalf took off with one of his horses and never returned it. (laughs) (laughs) I have come for you. For my horse. I want my horse back. He found an orc and questioned him quick flashback of Beorn torturing an orc. They ask him what he did with the orc, and he nods up into a tree where the lifeless orc hangs there. Hang, where the lifeless orc hangs. Right, or his head or they, something, right. Yes. They killed his horse, and he wants in on the action, and he tells them few orcs are left guarding the place because a war party left recently. They go in. Galadriel is a killing machine! She mixes up both sword and singing, chanting attacks, while Beorn handles his share, and Radagast searches for Gandalf in secret. He sees Gandalf up in the crow's cage and ponders how to get him out. Meanwhile, a dark mist starts creeping in, along with a few baddies. Orcs, trolls, Nazgul, take your pick. And the dark speech. He tries to fight, but he is stripped of power by Sauron and is quickly overwhelmed and is stabbed multiple times by Morgul blades. Then a new chanting is heard in a low and familiar voice. It is Saruman. <laughs> he tells him of the doings at the mountain and the orc army on its way and that he should go there. What? Wait a minute. I missed something. Gandalf is set aback by Saruman. He has bested Sauron. I must have... I swear I didn't take anything out there. Right. Um, but Sar- Saruman bests Sauron. Okay. Gandalf is set aback by Sar- Saruman. He has bested Sauron and is far more knowledgeable about goings-on than he would have expected. This renews his faith in Saruman's ability and wisdom, thus making his faith in the fellowship not seem so awkward. <laughs> uh, so the, 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 the pronouns before must be that Saruman tells Gandalf of the doings at the mountains. Oh, in the he, tells, yes, okay, he tells him, yeah. uh, okay, so he knows all the stuff. Good. Gandalf asks Saruman to come with him, but Saruman refuses. Come with him to Erebor. He must hunt down Sauron to see where he is going. 
Galadriel also refuses, for she is worried about her lands and the evil that may be heading that way. She will travel with Saruman to Lothlorien. All is not lost, though. Beorn offers his help, if it means that he gets to kill more orcs. Gandalf offers him a ride on the bunny sled, but Beorn says, no, I shall run, and he changes into a bear form and, take, bear, bear form and takes off. Gandalf and Galadriel have another awkward, silent, telepathic moment. <laughs> <laughs> Gandalf thanks Saruman and leaves on the sled. Now, we do know this. We, I believe we know now that Gandalf is on the horse that's for sale. Yes. So, but that's the only thing. Okay, at the end of the movie, Saruman is trying to use his palantir to see what's going on. However, now the Dark Lord has his. Is, he's in Mordor and has his palantir. Saruman uh. closes <clears throat> his eyes and touches the palantir. He starts to hear the dark speech, and then the blurring eye, the burning eye flashes. I got this to... to um, Okay, where am I at here? Roll credits. Okay, that would not work with the frame narrative. I just think that would be the best way to end that part. Um, right. Oh, there we go. I, that's I messed it up. That's what happened. Um, I, I, I. Oh, I, I see. I see. I juxtaposed. Oh, right. In the wrong yeah, I see. Place. Yeah. So you know. But anyway, the bottom line is that Saruman is the one who dry, who just you know who quote unquote destroys Sauron or or you know drives sends him out. Sauron fleeing off. Yeah. That's yeah. a really. Oh, and, and Saruman gives Gandalf the staff of Radagast. So let's see, Radagast. Oh yes, yeah, so he got he died in the with the um, yeah he died with the Morgul blades. So that's kind of cool, huh? That is kind of cool. I really like. Um, um, I really like that idea of Saruman coming in and being the hero, essentially, or right. appearing to be the hero at least. Um, but so now, if I'm understanding what Brett is suggesting here, he's suggesting that Saruman actually will be a hero. That is, yeah. that Saruman is doing this indeed with honestly Inter- good intentions and is only right. going to be ensnared and corrupted after this. Right. Right. Um, I'm not sure if I can believe that. And I don't just say this for book-related purposes. I mean, it's pretty clear that, that uh, you know, Saruman's turning to evil dates back well beyond, you know, this historical moment. Um, but, but, but that's not, that's, of course, not itself sufficient reason to think that that's how they're going to do it in the films. Um, that, the kind of compression in time, um, it would make perfect sense to me if they were depicting Saruman's actual, you know, moment of veering over towards the dark side. Um, and therefore that we're supposed to imagine him still being good at the beginning. Um, this I could completely believe. My biggest problem is that it didn't seem like they did that in film one. Yeah. Um, or, and I don't know, you know, but you know, in film one, he didn't seem ominous and dangerous and evil. He seemed just pompous. Yeah. He, he was pompous he, and full of himself. Exactly. He, he wasn't an evil warlord. He was just a jerk in film right. one. Right. But see, but that's exactly where, you know, where I, where I have a problem with it. You know, because, I mean, clearly, and this is so complicated. It's something, it's one of the... Um, um, one of the themes we were discussing uh, in uh, w- there was a, a, a gathering this past weekend of, of, of Mythgard students uh, in DC, uh, which they arranged spontaneously. It was called it was called Midmoot, and um, we had a little one day conference, which was a lot of fun. And um, 
Neil Ottenstein, a, a long-time dedicated Riddles in the Dark listener, um, presented a paper in which he was talking about the Ender's Game film, and he was looking at the Ender's Game film basically as as a really interesting test case for one really crucial question about book adaptation into film. And the question was, how do you handle surprises? You know, how do you how do you handle, you know, so like in in Ender's Game, of course, you know, what happens at the end or like what is revealed to the protagonist to Ender at the end is a huge surprise. Um, And to some extent, it's a surprise also to the readers who are who are just, you know, to a pretty large extent, it's a surprise to the readers, too. But when you're doing the film, of course, the huge percentage of the of your core audience for the uh, for the film, especially for a book that's been out for decades and has a really large following, your core audience already knows the answer, right? So it's not like you're going to be able to spring the surprise and count on the same kind of emotional effect. And this is something that's true in the Lord of the Rings films too. In the context of that discussion, one of the things that came up, which which was funny, you know, we all kind of laughed about because all of us, being Tolkien readers, didn't even realize the fact um, or the significance of the fact that in the trailers for film two for the two towers before the two towers film was released in the trailers for the, for the two towers they had shots of gandalf and of course we didn't think twice about this because you know like right. we, we were just like oh cool it's gandalf the white i was wondering what gandalf the white would look for but of course people who hadn't read the books before were kind of ticked about that because yeah. they had no context like gandalf died in the first film what the heck um Who's so so there was basically like a huge spoiler in the trailer for crying out loud um, and how and how uh, and how sort of annoying that was. Um, anyway, so you know th- this question of how to manage these things, how to man- you know, are you going to try to replicate the surprise? You know, are, are you going to conceal the same things in the film that were concealed in the book? To uh, you know, to even so, even though it's not going to actually be a surprise to many people, but are you still going to kind of go for that overall effect? And if so, how? Here, so I'm, I'm reminded of that discussion here, though, because there's sort of a there's 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 I mean, it's not exactly the same kind of situation, um, but I mean, because the surprise has already happened. That you know, the the surprise was the revelation that Saruman is a traitor and has turned to evil, um, and is in fact you know one of their one of their opponents. But but now again, you have this challenge of how do you handle that? You know, and there's so many different ways they could handle it. And in film one, the impression I got from the way in which Saruman was depicted, the, the, you know, sort of the, the particular kind of flavor of jerk that Saruman was depicted as in the first one, it's not that we were looking at him and we were getting clear... It's not that the film was telegraphing to us, see, look, he's already evil. You can tell he is already evil in his heart. Like, uh, you know, we're going to give you heavy hints of what you already know is going to happen later on that really underneath it's already happened or is happening. It's not that. But the fact that he was opposing Gandalf and Galadriel so much and speaking so scathingly of Radagast, the fact that he already seemed so um, so intolerant and closed-minded um, would be equally compatible with somebody who's already two steps down the evil path or somebody who's already evil and not concealing it really, really well. And, and, and you know, I'll, I'm still not quite sure which, what, which one they were yeah. going for, but it seemed to be going in that direction. So this is all a very roundabout way of saying that I'll be kind of surprised if that element of Brett's story turns out to be so. That is, if, it, if he's really... Gen- now, he could put on an act. In fact, I could even see Sar- Saruman and the Necromancer having arranged an act together. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
but it would appear to make Saruman the victor, but in fact, it's they're in collusion. And yeah, remember that in the book version, there is fakery involved in the apparent victory at the Battle of Dol Guldur. Um, the and good guys. Doesn't it say in the book that it was the devices of Saruman that helped drive out the necromancer? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he is leading the charge against them. Well, charge, in as much as there was a charge. Um, right. It's not even obvious that the wizards were physically present at Dol Guldur when they drove out Saruman. Just, the books just are not explicit about how that happens. Right. They just, like, you know... Well, Gandalf just basically says, me and my buddy wizards did this. Yeah, we drove them out. He doesn't say how, yeah. Mm-hmm. They put forth their power. And drive him out. Like, put forth their power. It's like a classic Tolkien magic thing, right? Like, what the heck does that mean? Put forth their power. In what form? What did it look like? What did it sound like? We don't know. Um, Where were they? Again, I mean, is is this like, um, you know, the White Council sitting around a table somewhere, like maybe in, in Lorien or something, and, you know, putting forth their power and, you know... Several miles away, Sauron is being driven out. I could buy that. I mean, that doesn't seem impossible at all. Yeah, Does right, it mean right. they march on the place? Eh, you know, maybe. It's anyway. probably more like Tony didn't want to be bothered with the details, so he just sort of you well, know, used a throwaway line. Yeah, I mean, but, well, I, I mean, yeah, I guess I would say more. He wasn't. That's not the story he was telling. You it know, engage, it didn't engage him. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. What matters is they put forth their <laughs> they put forth their, their power, power and they drove him out. You know, that's, exactly. That's what happened. Said. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, now, uh, but again, there was fakery on Sauron's part there, right. right? You know that Sauron only feigned to flee, as right. uh, as, as they say. So um, it, we already know that in the book version. They believe they've won. They believe that they have won a victory um, over over the necromancer. Um, but truly, in fact, there wasn't a victory. Um, uh, you know, the Sauron. It was it was just a tactical withdrawal withdrawal on Sauron's part, and if anything, an attempt to make them more complacent. This, it would seem to me, could be very conveniently combined with treachery by mm-hmm. Saruman. That is, you know, basically the, the, the two things, the thing that you just pointed to, the fact that it was by the devices of, you know, the, uh, you know Saruman yeah. that, that they drove him out, and the fact that he only feigned to flee, um, right. we could get them working together. I could, see, I could see a Palantir scene leading up to it, you know? Now see, I would rather have, I, personally, I would rather have that in the Hobbit movie. I mean, I, you know, indicators so far are not indicating that, but I think that's a much neater story neater in the sense of being elegant you know more cohesive type story to have it be that way Um, I don't know what the resistance to making Saruman that way would be you know if we see him be all good I'm going to be like well why I mean why what was the motivation for that yeah the idea see the only thing that I would not really find believable and again and I say this in particular with the depiction of of Saruman in uh, in film one, um, is if he is genuinely like, yeah, you know, wholeheartedly good and right. opposing the evil, and then we're supposed to un- believe that he just like spontaneously and without seeing any sign shifts. of the beginning of the deterioration, the beginning of him going up to the dark side, no sign at all in the Hobbit, and then we're supposed to believe in the Fellowship of the Ring, he's gone bad in the intervening. I mean, I, yeah. it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I mean, there's other things we've talked about that we don't need necessarily to have continuity for, but 
this is a kind of a biggie. <laughs> right. Right. Well, I, I'll say the response. There was a response to Brett's um, post on the uh, on the board, and we have another in favor of Saruman being the good guy. Okay. This one's a little bit more out there. This one's a little bit more like the Hobbit and the zombie army, but okay, all, that's okay. okay. So, T- and I don't know if I, if I'm pronouncing this right. T. Malatich, Malatik, M. A. L. E. T. I. C. H. is the uh, is the poster. So um, he or she says. Galadriel, Radagast, and Elrond arrive. Saruman refused to join them and face a moderate level of orc defenders. They break through using blades. They reach Gandalf, who shouts a warning to turn back, but it is too late. The group is enveloped by a cloud of darkness. Cue Saron theme. The nine step out from the darkness and surround them, a la Weathertop. Gandalf is freed and is given a sword. The necromancer reanimates the orcs they have slain, and an undead army advances. <laughs> a, f- a fierce battle ensues during which Radagast is killed by the Witch King. Gandalf, and by the way, that makes sense because, you know, uh, uh, Jackson has said that Morgul blade was going to be coming into play at some right, point. Right, right. Um, Gandalf takes up Rad's staff and drives him back. The power of the necromancer intervenes, stealing their victory and constricting around them. The fallen orcs and Nazgul are reanimated. Hope is lost. Then the chanting of Saruman can be heard, growing in power. A beacon of light breaks through, and a fierce wind drives back the cloud of darkness and the dark creatures. Lightning strikes decimate them, as he used in the Two Towers movie. The necromancer turns his full power on Saruman and surrounds him. Saruman begins to falter and is gripped by fear, where he was arrogant and confident before. He is about to suffer the same fate as Gandalf when Gandalf and Galadriel join their magic to his and drive back and shatter the cloud. (laughs) (laughs) I love to see people getting into the spirit of writing the movie script in advance. Great! I th- we yeah. should, we could do our own movie. Honestly, you know, we could probably at the end of all this, we could probably take all the di- comments that have happened over the three years, and we could do our own movie just from the comments people have. Given. No, we couldn't. We could do like thirteen or fourteen versions <laughs> of the movies, depending on what point in we time you listen to. We should do an interactive. Yeah. We should do an interactive thing where people could pick, you know, the if-then kind of things. Exactly. Know, so It'd be like a choose-your-own-adventure you alternate universe yeah, Hobbit film. Absolutely. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Definitely. And we could use Lego figures for the, you know, for the, you know, no, no, no problem with copyrights or trademarks. Yeah, no, fortunately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, we never run into that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, we have two great stories. But in both of these, Sarah Herman is the good guy. Right, right. Um, and that is interesting. It would be kind of surprising, you know, so I, I could see them pulling that for that reason, you know, that, like, we wouldn't expect it. And so, especially since it was just Galadriel that Gandalf was sending Radagast for, right? So, you know, we are we are set up for the Galadriel cavalry. Um, and the idea, so therefore it would be a surprise um, if, uh, you know, Galadriel is sort of in... Uh, in, um, you know, incapable of saving him on her own. Um, but, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical about these ideas, uh, I have to admit. Um, but, um, the, uh, the undead army is interesting. Um, you know, I mean, of course, we've talked about the necromancer before, and uh, and 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 the possibilities involved there. I have to admit that I am my uh, my sort of uh, my Zombork enthusiasm is sort of losing steam. Um, in yeah, that, too uh, bummer, huh? yeah, yeah. 
Um, uh, because mostly because I don't think that, um, uh, I don't think that there is much reason to think that, um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think there's much reason to think that it's going to happen now if it hasn't happened before, you know? Um, right. so, right. Hey, that link, uh, Sandra sent that link that you asked for and I put it into the script so it's easy for you to click on. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, Sandra Hall has reminded us uh, that uh, there is a photo of uh, Gandalf on the bunny sled. So we have a picture of Gandalf galloping across some wasteland or desert on the horse, and then we have Gandalf on the bunny sled. So. Oh, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, bad news for everybody who is uh, uh, morbidly cheering for one of Bard's daughters to die. Um, <laughs> there's also a picture on it's this. Gale. Yeah, there's a there's, there's also a there's also a picture on this page of uh, Bard standing with all three of his children. Oh, okay. Obviously on the shore Dave's watching so watching Lake Town burn. Oh God, Dave's really married to the idea of having. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry to say, it looks like the daughters survive. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um. Obviously, the fact sheet is straying into the quarry will not consider it until after the Riddles game is complete. That's oh, okay. That's okay. I mean, yeah. we still can look at stuff. We just don't go into long, yeah. long analysis. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got Comic-Con coming up, and Riddles in the Dark is still going to be alive. And Dave's going to Comic-Con, so I just yep. don't see how we're going to be able to complete No, we're going to have to talk Dave. about some stuff. Dave, you cannot talk. You cannot say a word until... <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. Um... <laughs> Yeah. Okay. No. And James Space. Do they survive the winter, though? That's <laughs> true. Maybe not, James. Maybe that's right. That's right. L- look on the bright side, James. They could still one or both of them could still starve to death over the course of the winter. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that's a great line. So Bard is there with his three kids. They're watching Lake Town burn, and the last thing he says is, "Winter is coming." Winter is coming. <laughs> there you go. Right. Right. <laughs> Perfect. Has that phrase been trademarked yet? Has it been copyrighted? Can oh. we not say that anymore? We um, not be able to, actually. I get sued. <laughs> anyway. Um, now you're going to share your screen, right? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can do that. Hang on a second. At least with those of us that are here. The listeners to this are going to be like, I'll include this. Um, the link, yeah. This link, yeah. Yeah, so that people can flip over to it. Okay, let's see. All right, I'm getting myself together here. In the meantime, Trish will sing a song. No, she won't. <laughs> we'll lose everybody if I do that. Okay. But I think okay. this is interesting. This whole ceremony thing has really got me Okay, uh, let's see. Where was I? Oh, here I am. Okay. All right. Here we go. So there's the Bard family. Ah, okay. So um, can't you just see him say, winter is coming? Winter is coming, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Now, the one thing that troubles me about this picture is that Bard's hair is dry. Yeah, I think it if, is, if Bard doesn't swim for the shore, I'm going to be a little disappointed. But Well, the other thing is, doesn't this look like a like a PR shot to you? It does, yeah, that's how they labeled it. Yeah, the, the publicity still of oh, Bard and his family. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's... How they, um, but it's just, I mean, doesn't it rather look like, uh, doesn't it rather look like, the, I mean, 
it looks like a, a firelight in the distance there, and it kind of, uh, you know, yeah, one would Bane's expression here seems to be, um, you know, a little disconsolate looking at the fire. <laughs> a little constipated, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. And then this daughter's looking at something else entirely. Like, they're all looking over here at the fire, and she's all like... She's thinking, thank God I have my dolly with me or it would be burning. That's right. Look, and her dolly survives. Oh, yeah. Yana will be glad to hear that. Yeah. That we don't have a second tragic uh, doll fatality. And the older daughter's thinking, well, at least I don't have to cook dinner tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... Okay. There's the there's the uh the See the, there's Gandalf, there's him on the horse. This is the horse ad, right? Isn't this isn't that the, That isn't, is from the horse ad. That's the horse actually. ad, yes, yeah, that's what right. I thought. Right. Okay. Yes. Um and uh and there's the bunny ah. sled. But see Radagast is there. But see Radagast is on that. And yeah. I think that's from I, I think that might be a mistake that they put in there because it looks they I think they're saying that they're at Dalgoldur, don't they? Rune of Dale. Oh, they're saying the Rune of Dale. I don't think so. I think that's when doesn't don't, haven't we already seen Gandalf riding on the sled or not? I can't remember. I can't, I Gandalf ride on the so. sled from the High Fells? He might have actually, in an extended edition, we might see him on the sled. Ooh, maybe. Maybe. Yeah. Um, uh, I would think it would be Dol Guldur because that's where they're heading after they go to the High Fells, is they go to Dol Guldur. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it does seem, I mean, those these two images would seem to be... Uh, you know. Plus, look at the staff that Gandalf has when he's riding the horse. Radagast Isn't staff. that Radagast staff? Yep. Yeah. Looks like it. Now I'm turning into a real fangirl. Oh yep. my gosh. Yep. Well, anyway, okay. Enough fact. <laughs> Sarah Don't bother me with facts. Sarah Lagarde says maybe Bard's older daughter will go off with Feely. <laughs> 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 so PC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, right. so let's move on to the conundrum, shall we? Okay, yes, duets. And this We're is, showing this no signs of efficiency, by the way. There's, there's really, We're showing there's no really, signs of efficiency. Yeah, no really threat sad. of... Uh, Laura, Laura is going to... This is, this is actually done to motivate Laura to take over for the next <laughs> one, because she's going to be so, like, disappointed in me. Um, okay, so... Really, conundrum 309 actually brings up somebody we haven't even touched on. Uh, well, just in passing. The conundrum is, will Elrond show up in person for the Battle of Dol Guldur? Okay. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, do we think... Um, because, of course, he, he is the, the sort of missing member of the White Council that we've, uh, we haven't really been talking about. Um, and I don't... You know, I, this is a tough one for me. I don't know. We really don't have any indications at all. Just because we have not, we haven't seen photos of any of the wizards or yeah. elves at yeah. Dol Guldur yeah. uh, for movie three yet. So you know, I I know when the trailer comes out. Of course, the trailer that is going to be coming out shortly is going to be more of a teaser. But yeah, um, yeah, we might get a little bit more indication. Once not to mention the fact out. that I'm going to be watching trailers with a huge heaping of salt this year, considering <laughs> that like half of the scenes they put in the trailers, especially the first one, didn't even happen in the film. Uh, so, like, you know, fool me twice, shame on me, you know. Uh, I we'll know. See about In that. fact, you know, by the way, you know, Richard Armitage actually did refer to the fact that Thryon was supposed to be doing exactly what we thought, jumping down on, on Gandalf and having a fight with him when he, when he got to Dol Guldur. Yeah. And that got yes, the scene which has been in multiple trailers both. over the po- course of 18 months uh, yes. and uh, still never happened. 
Now, I didn't pay attention to the trailers for Lord of the Rings. Did the same kind of thing happen with those trailers? Uh, I don't remember. Okay. It's been so long, I know. I don't remember. I mean, I didn't pay attention to any of the trailers at all for those, so... Okay. Um, um, yeah, I, I'm. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think Elrond will show up? Yeah. I mean, you know, the thing is, he does have the third ring. Yeah. So I am thinking that part of the deal here at Dol Guldur will be that the three rings will be co-located. Yep. Yep. I think. I think we are going to get a ring, a, a rings of power thing. Um, but more importantly, I think that, you know I'm recalling the way in which Elrond was set up. Remember that we saw it, and we didn't see him in action. Um, we know that the you know that 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 sortie of elves from Rivendell from Rivendell right. came upon you know and we and we saw that he was leading it. So we never saw Elrond in action, but we had like the foreshadowing of Elrond in action. Right, and he had his armor on and everything. Yeah, yeah. we saw Elrond in armor with his sword going out, uh, you know, to uh, to fight the orcs and oh by the way, rescue Gandalf. So that seems right. to me foreshadowing. The, the 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 force of the foreshadowing of that incident leads me to expect we're probably going to see. Elrond, um, and it, it does. It, it, especially, also the in my other thinking here is not just with the Three Rings, but with the um, the 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 White Council. I mean, the White Council was tiny, right? They made the choice to have the you know the the the, the sort of well, I should say like in in air quotes White Council because the, they, it wasn't called that in the film. Um, but the fact that they only had the four of them. You know, yeah. Gandalf and Galadriel and Elrond and Saruman. There, it makes it hard for me to imagine that all four of those are not going to be there. I mean, be there. had they yeah. had they met in a big council, you know, of like you know fifteen or twenty people, I wouldn't expect all fifteen or twenty yeah. to necessarily show yeah. up. Then I could see, you know, just a, a small subset like Radagast and, and Gandalf and Galadriel being there, uh, maybe Saruman. Um, but with that number, like for Elrond just to get left out in the cold, for him just to be like the one loser who doesn't show, I think would be hard. <laughs> Because um, everyone's going to be like, Elrond, where the heck were you? And he's like, oh, don't you know? Like, I just stay here. Like, my job yeah, full time. Yeah, right. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't go with the away team ever. You know, I'm just. But and of course, we know from the Lord of the Rings films, he does. In fact, sometimes he randomly travels to Rohan to give people swords. So, um, that's right. <laughs> you know. It happens. So in lieu of his sons, well, <clears throat> right. in fact, it wasn't even a sword at that point. Was oh, did the sons bring him a sword at, the, at that time in the book? Uh, no, get, it was his no, horse. He has <laughs> they, his horse. That's right. They delivered his horse. <laughs> they brought they brought the horse and the and the sta- and the standard and the standard. Right? Yeah, exactly. Arwen. Exactly. Arwen had bravely sewn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Um, so for this reason, I'm going. I, I think that it's it's going to make Elrond look really lame. If he doesn't come, and uh, and not only is there, you know, not evidence for Elrond's lameness, there's like counter evidence for Elrond's lameness, based upon the fact that they already had him riding out and kicking butt right before. Yeah, that's so what I was since apparently he is in the films, clearly in the business of occasionally leaving his uh, uh, to. Of occasionally leaving his valley uh, for uh, butt kicking related reasons, uh, I, right. I, I therefore have to think that he's going to pony up and come along with him. Right, right. And we have some holdouts. We either have holdouts or people that have just left their, their you know, <laughs> they're not listening anymore. <laughs> I don't know which. <laughs> but so you're an, you're a yes, correct? I'm yes. I take from your, and I am also. I think 
he is going to be there for all the reasons you cited. Plus, he just ha- <laughs> he just has to be there. I mean, you know. Philip but says funny, maybe he'll you know, come and deliver a staff to Gandalf and then and then leave. <laughs> <laughs> right. That would he's be the, staying he's true the to form. FedEx of of Middle Earth. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, by the way, Sandra uh, Hall was trying to excuse the trailer stuff by saying, uh, you know, that the trailers for Hobbit 1 were are more misleading as they came out when they were only going to do the two films, when they were put together. Um, agreed, Sandra, which is why I didn't hold it against them when Gandalf fighting with a crazy guy didn't happen in film 1. But when right. they showed that same footage and more footage relating to that encounter right. in the trailers to film two, and then still didn't put it into film two, that's what I—that's what I get grumpy about. Not to mention the Sandra's fact a, Sandra's a nice person. She is. She's being very generous. That's fine. She's being very generous. That's fine. But I, but I, I, I also—I uh, mean, it is true to remember the business about the t- the two films. But, uh, but again, the thing is that there's even that scene. I mean, the scene that I was making fun of most, like that one where Azog jumps up on the battlements, which we saw in every <laughs> single trailer and not only wasn't in the film but was removed like we saw the scene except Azog yes. had been CG'd out of it um, so you know and again like I'm not saying it's a bad thing I'm not I'm not saying they're awful for you know making last minute changes though apparently pretty radical changes to the plot uh, of the story um, but I am but I am saying that I'm not going to be fooled again. <laughs> I'm, I'm well, going yeah, to. I mean, I'm going to be viewing the trailers that. with a measure of skepticism this year. That's all. It is kind of like Jackson sort of routinely puts red herrings into the trailers on purpose. I don't I mean, know. I See, just... I don't know if he does, but you know, but there's a clear history of things being in the trailers that aren't in the movies. So yeah. you know, I'm well, not going to make assumptions. You know that he, from what we understand, he pretty much has a has a history of editing right up to the moment. That, right, you know, exactly. Film has to be Which delivered. seems so obviously to be the case with the Azog thing. I mean, yeah. that's that's yeah. Uh, um, yeah. That's 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 perfectly obvious. Um, and you know, maybe Gandalf and the crazy guy will presumably be in the in the extended edition. I mean, it can't be anywhere else. I, I can't imagine that. That's. I mean, that sure looked like Gandalf walking through Dol Guldur at the beginning. You know, when he's before his capture. Right. Right. I can't see that right. scene happening after his capture. No. So, um, no. Uh, so if it's gonna, unless it's just been utterly destroyed, I assume it'll be in the extended edition. Well, ten of our fifteen live listeners have voted. Okay. Okay. Oh, more than that now, almost almost three quarters <clears throat> of our live. Listeners. Yeah. Yeah, we're good. I think we can close it. Okay. Cool. So I will share here, and. Um, we have seventy three percent with the yes. I'm curious uh, to hear also from the no folks. You know, if anybody wants to step forward and vote, no. yeah, feel free. You can, of course, you can't write four paragraphs, or at least we're not going to be able to read no. it if you do. <clears throat> but if you want to give like a one or two sentence, uh, you know, little sort of uh, praise of the uh, pretend you're writing a irrational. Twitter, you know, yeah, entry. Yeah, would be interested to to hear your thoughts about that. Nobody's stepping forward yet. Of course, you might be typing, I suppose, right? Typing yes, we we'll have to leave a minute or two for people to type. But um, well, let's go ahead and, and we can always come back to this. Let's, let's okay. go ahead and segue into so should Riddle go 10. on to Riddle 3.10, which was the black hats. We've already talked about black hats <clears throat> to right. some degree. But the specific riddle for uh, episode 3.10 is where will Sauron be during the Battle of Five Armies? A, fleeing or feigning to flee from Dogledor, headed to Barad-dûr, which is the book answer. 
B, remotely directing his armies. C, taking part in the battle in, uh, in the battle in person. D, lurking ominously somewhere. And E, none of the above. This is one of the ones we were unanimous on. All three of us said lurking ominously somewhere. Answer D. And bless her heart, Laura is sticking with the book answer, and she's going with A. You know, I, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go ahead and predict uh, Laura's resounding victory in the riddle game this year. I think. Um, <laughs> uh, if anything, if we've learned if if we've learned anything, okay, no, if we've learned anything from the first two years, it's that. Unanimous votes among the three of us are like the kiss of death. Uh, uh, yes, but the, absolutely. The other thing that we've learned is that people who vote A more often uh, do better. Statistically, do better, um, don't they? There have been a bunch of sort of surprise book answers. Um, but anyway, <clears throat> um, now I didn't. I left out the listener poll. By the way, this was a historic poll. This is the first time it's ever happened where we had answers split 50-50 between two answers. A, 50%, and D, 50%. Right, and B, C, and E, no votes whatsoever. Yeah, Absolutely nothing. So um, half of the people are going to to victory with Laura, I'd say. Right, right. (laughs) The other are going down in flames with us. (laughs) Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and we had... This is, I think the problem with um, with us listeners is that we we tend to overthink things because <laughs> I mean we had a really good pattern we had a really good logic for why D would make sense yeah um, well, it obviously makes you know. sense I mean it's it's really the only thing that makes sense uh, <laughs> you know, I mean that's not really an issue uh, yeah <laughs> exactly the issue is just how closely reality is going to adhere to the awesomeness that we have conceived. And uh, That's right. <laughs> sadly, in this post-lapsarian world, so rarely does life actually <clears throat> rise to the levels of awesomeness that we can conceive for it. Well, you know, that. Kristen Houck makes a really good point. She says, where Jackson goes wild is in details we didn't even think to speculate about. Right. Right. <laughs> it's like, you know, oh, we hadn't thought of that. Right. That's true. That's it's true. very true. It's very well, true. Moving on to the comments that were around this, there were a few bits and pieces, but I was really, um, I really focused in on, there were several thought through comments around the question that Dave and Corey and I brought up, which is, why is the army, orc army, you know, where's the orc army marching to? And if they're going to Erebor, why would they be going to Erebor? Yeah. And so we have some folks who have weighed in on this. So Dave, uh, David Russell Mosley, who's a frequent live listener, um, weighed in on this saying, since Tolkien retroactively makes Gandalf's reason for helping Thorne and company, the fact that a dragon of Smaug's strength could be used to ill purpose, it makes sense to send an army to the mountain and use it as a base of operations. After all, Smaug has been content for at least 60 years of film time to sleep on his heap of treasure. Lake Town exists still, as does Thranduil's kingdom, Lorien, and Rivendell. The dragon is content. However, if Sauron wants Smaug to lead the attack on all these places, Sauron would need troops at Erebor for Smaug to lead. Without troops being first sent there with orders for Smaug, the dragon would simply sleep on its hoard, or so it would seem. So I think the Dog Uldur army is intended for Erebor. Okay, so basically, this idea, David's idea is that Sauron really just has to like light a fire under under Smaug, or, right. the, or, or Otherwise, that Smaug would just... lazy git isn't going to do anything. <laughs> Right, right. And, you know, I was thinking about this, but I was also thinking about the fact, uh, I'm trying to think if I should say it now or later, I'll say it now. Um, You know, we hear Smaug in his conversation with Bilbo acknowledge that he knows Sauron's doings, but we don't hear anything on Sauron's side. Sauron has never mentioned, has he, the dragon? 
he's never mentioned or there's or, or, or the orcs said something to Thranduil about the, the mountain but nothing about there being any kind of alliance or anything from from Sauron's side How unless unless been? that's what was being alluded to oh by the orc yeah, saying like the, the destruction, you know, in fire. Got it, got it, got it, got it. And there will never be a king. Oh no, I guess Legos. Yeah, it, it will all be, you know, it will all be destroyed in fire. That's 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 yeah, all yeah, I can yeah. think of okay. as a as a, yeah. a you know an indirect allusion to the deployment of the dragon. And you know, it's it's possible we'll see something at the beginning that indicates the Sauron has. If this is the storyline, you know, that he'll he'll do something. Well, um, let's see, Beef. <laughs> that's the username. Oh, I thought that was the topic. <laughs> no, concerning no, beef. The name of the <laughs> beef responded. Getting back to the question of the army, it rather seems to me that the army would be needed for something that a dragon might not be so good at, like getting into the elvish caves at Mirkwood. They seemed much smaller than the great great dwarf halls under the mountain, and certainly Smaug's ability to fly wouldn't be of much use when assaulting what amounts to a subterranean bunker. If we are to believe that Sauron raised this army to assault the Mirkwood elves, nothing to scoff at, it would allow him to encircle Lorien. It would necessitate in the fab- fabrication of a reason to divert them to Erebor. It might work out well if they were to, say, catch wind of the departure of Thranduil's army as they leave for Erebor, thinking the orcs thinking combat above ground preferable to attempting to assault his cavern fastness. It just seems to me Thranduil is the only power in the area that would really require an organized army to subdue. Certainly, I think that a reluctant, prideful Smaug seems not to fit with any Tolkienian rendition of dragons i feel like if sauron called him to heal he'd heal and he wouldn't uh, and he wouldn't need an army to back up his word just a messenger like the bat version of roak right right that right. was my that was my addition yeah yeah <laughs> um i can't agree that a reluctant prideful smaug doesn't fit with tolkienian renditions no, of dragons I, would think he does. Um, I i think that does i mean of course <clears throat> i have to admit the first dragon it makes me think of is chrysophylax divas i was gonna say divas. from farmer giles exactly. Can. he was both reluctant and prideful <laughs> exactly exactly um now of course that was comedy you know and, and the 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 fact that the that the dragon was shrewd and wicked and powerful but a bit of a coward um, is part of what makes it funny, right? That, you know, you have this dragon who's kind of doesn't want to be bothered um, and is genuinely afraid for his hide uh, in the face of the magical sword um, that Farmer Giles has. But but um, but leaving Chrysophylax Dives aside for a second, um, uh, I do think that he could be reluctant. I guess my... My biggest objection. I think self-centered is is. You yes. know, I think of Smaug in the book. Yes. He's he only cares about his own issues. He's not going to ally with somebody. He's he goes Absolutely. off and attacks Lake Town for his own purpose. Absolutely. And although I can imagine Smaug being an ally with somebody, it would be an ally. He, he wouldn't heal. I don't think. Right. Um, I mean, because it does seem dragons do seem to be pretty um, arrogant. You know, that's one of the that's one of the central things about them. Um, certainly about Smaug. Um, Smaug is not only arrogant; he's vain. You know, right. I mean, uh, that that, and basically the 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 kind of self regard that Smaug shows. Again, not that I could never imagine him working with a necromancer. We have you know Tolkien's retroactive or Gandalf's retroactive insistence that it that he would work mm-hmm. with with Sauron. But I don't think it would be a healing question, you know, that is H-E-E-L, a question of Smaug healing when, when, when Sauron called. Um, I would think that that would be an alliance that he would have to work out. 
I now, find Glaurong was more of a healing dragon, wasn't he? Yeah, but we have to remember that it was totally Morgoth we were talking about healing to. Yeah. Right, right, and right. even there, Glaurung was working as an independent agent. I mean, Glaurung, right. Glaurung was essentially... He had his own reward he was working yeah. for, right? Yeah, he, he was operating more like Sauron was operating under Morgoth right. at that point. Um, so, so yeah, first of all, like, you know, uh, Sauron is, is no Melkor, right? Um, right. Uh, certainly where the dragons are concerned, the dragons and even the descendants, you know, of Glaurong might have every reason to basically look on Sauron, not as a master, but a peer. Um, and that's how I would have expected Smaug to interact with Sauron. Fundamentally as a peer, um, and an ally, not a servant. Um, and, uh, I mean, again, notice the Balrogs aren't under Sauron's command, right. you know, nor would they be. Right. Again, they're peers, not, 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 not servants. Um, and so anyway. Hey, I, I have a question. Yeah. I, I'm sure this probably has been asked before. It's a real quick side question. You know, we know Balrogs and Angolian, they were Maya, uh, Maya. Dragons were not, correct? Well, um. Or is there, there's there, are we not no. sure? Well, <laughs> Okay. Should have asked. Yeah, <laughs> it's tricky. Um, I don't feel like I understand dragons well myself um, because when we look at there are a bunch of things in the Silmarillion, in particular, in the uh, in the relationship between Morgoth and Glaurung, um, where there there's some things that Tolkien says that I don't know exactly how to take, like how literally to take. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, there are. There are references to, like, uh, you know, uh, with Glaurung, you know, he was able to speak by the evil spirit that was in him. Okay, well, how literal is that? Does that just mean, like, he has a soul of some kind, you know, and it's evil, and he speaks? Um, Or, but, like, why does he say that? Why does he say, and then he spoke by the evil spirit that was in him? Does it mean that the dragons are essentially big animals, which are inhabited by a by a malevolent spirit, you know, one of the lesser spirits, one of the lesser Maiar. Because um, we know, you know, in the, going back to the Book of Lost Tales, you know, from the beginning of Tolkien's concept, there was this idea, not just of like, you know, all of the, you know, sort of angelic order of beings, you know, all of the Ainur are all like really huge and powerful. There are lots of really, really minor spirits who sort of follow in the train of the great spirits. You know, you have the, you know, you have like the Valar and each of the Valar has their people, you know, their, 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 their group of followers, some of whom are very, very minor indeed. Um, so, okay. So, so you have some minor spirit, um, you know, minor compared to the other Maiar who enters into these animals, the dragons, and animates them in this way and gives them a malevolent intelligence and, and will and all of these things. Um, that's, um, you know, that's okay. Um, uh, that could be. That's plausible. It fits with what seems to be described in some other places so okay i can i can but but it's not but it's so little to go on yeah, you know it is. um it is. is it just that rather instead of i, I don't know i mean you know he or, never specifically says my art like no, he does the other he characters. doesn't so i was thinking i was thinking you know it would make sense if it was my art because of sentience seems to be only something a lubitar can give but then then we'd have to say the fox and the lord of the rings was a my my uh <laughs> That would explain a lot, actually. 
Yeah, it's one of the people of Orame, you know. Uh, it's... Hey, that'd be a great paper, you yeah. know. If sentience can only come from Luvatar, that fox, that fox is a Maya. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Very clearly. All right, Very well, clear. I have derailed us. I'm going to rerail us. Here. Okay, well. We have yet a third. Well, hang on a second. Third. I, I, I want to say one thing about each of the two, okay. the two comments a little bit first. First, okay. um, <clears throat> as far as the lighting of fire under Smaug theory goes, I have a hard time with that because, first of all, now I mean I I do think it's a really good observation. Um, again, thinking back to Glaurung, one of the things that motivated him, in as much as he was acting independently, he wasn't acting totally independently. He was under orders from Morgoth, but he he was seeking ends of his own. You know, there were right. his own like little personal goals that he had in right. addition to achieving the errand of his master. Um, uh, to use the words of the text, and his setting himself up as like a dragon king in the ruins of Nargothrond was like one of his goals. You know, he really, we know that uh, Finrod Felagun brought more treasure out of Valinor than anybody else, and so the wealth of Nargothrond was very great, and um, and so uh, so acquiring the horde of Nargothrond um, and ruling, you know, the orcs in the whole area from there, this was like his own personal reward. You know, this was like the perk that, that, that uh, Glaurung got out of doing this. Well, <clears throat> that's Smaug's already there, you know, like yeah, mission accomplished, right? right? I mean, he's like, he's like in the dragon retirement home. What does he have to work for now? Right. He's got what he wants. Right. Okay. So yeah, right. he could go out and, and destroy Mirkwood. So like, what does he there's want no, with that? There's no treasure there. I yeah. Mean, yeah. That would be the, there's nothing. I, I don't even know where nothing for him there. there. Yeah, there's nothing in that region. I mean, he's he is where he, he is in the spot he wants to be in. Mm-hmm. That's where the gold is. Exactly. So in that way, I can see them basically having to. It's almost like they're having to, uh, you know, to like lure Smaug out of retirement, practically. You know, yeah, to to, yeah. to get him to do this. Um, so, I, so I I kind of like this idea of the reluctant Smaug. That that I can get behind that concept. What I can't get behind is the idea that sending an orc army is going to do the trick. Um, right. I mean, if he is reluctant, if he is, if if in fact what we're supposed to be imagining is that Smaug is sitting there in Erebor saying, "I'm good. I've got what I want. Um, forget you, necromancer. I'm not going to play your game." Like so, an orc army shows up. Then what? Then what's he going to say? Oh well, now there's an orc army here. Now I'll do it. No, I don't see him doing that. That's not going <laughs> to change his mind. Um, uh, so, um, so, so I'm not sure that that mechanism. I mean. It, Besides which, if he's going to send an army to coordinate with Smaug, which does make sense, um, Erebor should still be the last place he should send it, right? I mean, it's right. the it's the one it's right. the only place, the one place in the area that does not require conquering. Um, so, well, now, so what do you think of Beef's argument that actually he thinks they're he or she is they're going to um, Thranduil rather right. than to Erebor? That I can definitely see. That makes more that sense. Falls into your refugee. <clears throat> Right, right. Well. I like the re- the refugee scenario. Um, here I am, like cheering not only for the death of Dar- Bard's daughters, but like for the destruction <laughs> of the Elven Kingdom of Mirkwood. Um, it's, it's pretty callous, I know. But anyway, anyway. what you have become over these three I know, years. I know. Um, <laughs> no, I can't really say I'm cheering for the death of the daughters. I'll be sad if one of the daughters no, dies. But it, Dave's really holding that. Dave's yeah. Position. Dave's the one who's really. Who's really? He's watching way too much Game of Thrones. I think. Yeah, I think so. He's been. He's been. Uh, he's been. He's been infected. Yeah. But anyhow, um, the. Um, but the point I wanted to make about um, 
the 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 business with Smaug uh, having a difficult time um, assaulting that, like you know, the the underground <clears throat> fortress thing seems to be sort of the most kind of maximally dragon proof uh, kind of thing, and I, I I certainly agree with the logic of that, <clears throat> but there is the powerful force of Tolkien precedent going against it. Um, and that is Nargothrond, again, that I was just mentioning. I mean, the parallels between, um, certainly in Tolkien's mind, the parallel between Nargothrond and the elven kingdom of Mirkwood are very, very strong. So strong that he used the same illustration, like the, he drew, the picture that he drew, he used the same picture for both. Um, when he when he drew the Elven King's halls, you know the door to the Elven King's halls, um, uh, for his illustrated version, you know for his illustrations of the Hobbit um, uh, in thirty seven, um, he was copying the drawing he had already made of the gates of Nargothrond. I mean, it's like visually, it is the same in Tolkien's mind. So the links, the parallels there, um, are not just. You know, are not just uh, you know. It's not just like that. Like the parallels are obvious; they're explicit in Tolkien's mind. Um, we, of course, we also have parallels with Fingal and Doriath. Right. So, you know, those elements are all clearly present in Tolkien's mind as he's writing the Elven King of Mirkwood into the Hobbit. Okay. But let's now enter into Jackson's Bizarro Middle Earth. But okay. see, in Jackson's Bizarro Middle Earth, we already had a near Silmarillion quotation. Not quite, but a near quotation from uh, Thranduil um, doing a slant quotation of Thingol. You know, I too have a gems that I desire. Um, well, that's true. So I was thinking, the Silmarillion I was precedent is already there like the the, the weight right. of the silmar of the silmarillion right. parallels are present in the jackson right. films right right well i was thinking about this sort of underground bunker thing mm-hmm. um from jackson's bizarro universe you know we have that scene where the cgi you know sinews of his face show up while he's talking to thorne about having fought dragons in the past and you know that's come under some degree of of debate but if we go down the road of the thinking that you know that's showing up because he's under the throes of emotion from having fought dra- you know his memories of fighting dragons in the past and they're you know they're so right. vivid and painful would explain why he would build an underground bunker that a dragon couldn't get into true true now i'm really stretching here and i hate doing that cuz it's like you know like right. making up something completely you know on nothing but i mean that's another you know another thing about uh, why he would be underground right. versus, you know, uh, right. the Lorian elves or somebody else. Right, right. I mean, yeah, you could see uh, that, that, that reference to <clears throat> Thranduil's apparent history and obviously painful history with dragons um, being an anticipation of something to come. Right, right. I, I could believe that. Um so yeah, so I, so basically, I, I I just want to sort of express some kind of token resistance um, uh, <laughs> to the idea that it would be impossible for a dragon to take such a place. But now remember, the only you know, the primary reason the dragon was able to take that place to take Nargothrond was the fact the bridge, that the bridge, right? yeah, and, they, and the fact yeah. that they didn't throw down the bridge. Um, but anyway, you know, I, it's so... Well, it's so hard. I mean, you yeah, know, and Jackson yeah. also has... One th- one place that I ha- I fear that he may emulate Tolkien is in leaving some things unspl- unexplained. Mm-hmm. Like that, mm-hmm. you know, that thing with the cheek. I mean, right. that may that may never get referred to again. Yep, yep. 
silly Jackson. Yeah. Well, I have a third comment. Okay, there's a third comment on this lines, and this has this is actually something. <laughs> this is actually something that I brought up, um, and that you guys went, oh no 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 no. <laughs> so I'm gonna you know I mean I'm not necessarily married. To, I brought it up as a possibility. And Philip Menzies, I at yeah. least know who this is. Yeah. Says in movie two, I saw no indication that the orc army was marching. They only appeared to be marshalling. Okay. If you recall, I said something similar to this. I think it would be very effective storytelling to have this as the beginning of Sauron's northern campaign, which makes Gandalf's intervention that much more timely. Okay. Thranduil is not the only power in the north. There's also Dyne, who I am pronouncing as D-Y-N-E here, in the Iron Hills that Sauron would need to eradicate to have full control of the north. Also, I don't think the army will be dispatched until Sauron knows of the death of Smaug. Thus, the White Council will see the army recede into the distance and then hit an almost empty Dogledor. This makes for good storytelling as the action goes from Lake Town and the death of Smaug to Sauron, who sends out the army in reaction to this, to the White Council's attack, freeing Gandalf, the death of Radagast, and wrapping up business at Dogledor before Gandalf has to hot-foot it to the Lonely Mountain, bringing the action full circle back to the siege. Typical Peter Jackson technique. That sounds plausible. It does sound plausible. It does it? sound plausible. I, I, um, I mean, we did see them marching, but I agree. It's not like we saw them marching Could off. Could have been them on parade, you yeah. know, like we see the old <laughs> Nazi things with them saluting. Right, was they right, by them, right. Um, you know. Yeah, I mean, they kind of looked like they were heading off. You know, I got to say, it, that didn't look like <laughs> that didn't look like parade ground maneuvers. You know. Um, <laughs> But but you know okay uh, I'm 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 fine with that. Um, we could even of course it's even possible to do something to get out of that problem the problem we were raising in that episode about you know where the heck is the army going and why um, it's even possible to get out of that with a really in in like a really vague and mystical way that is to say like you know Sauron you know just like has some kind of conviction that. It's it is crucial for this army to get to the Lonely Mountain. He doesn't know why yet. There's no reason, yeah. Right, no you reason. know, but he just like has a foreboding yeah. that uh, th- you know the mountain is the key, and uh, his army should go there. Um, that would be pl- you know, that that would work. You could get out of the problem that way. Um, but um, well, I did say, you know, there is that there is that scenario where they're going to Erebor to do war games. Right. Right. Practice. Right. Practice. <laughs> <laughs> Practice with a live dragon. Right. Right. We're training right. for the big boys here. Okay. That's right. That's right. That's um, right. So I thought that was interesting. I, I recall when I brought it up, I know I wasn't necessarily like convinced of it, but I, I did what I was saying was, you know, you guys, we're cut, we're assuming that the army is marching away. I don't necessarily know that we can, you know, that that's a foundation assumption. Yep. Yep. From what we've seen so far. Right. No, I, I think we'll know fairly soon in, er, in movie three. If there's no army in Dol Guldur, then we'll know it was they were not marshalling. Right. But <laughs> see, at the same time, I, I mean, and Philip is taking that into account, of course, in his in his yes. concept here that that it still will have left before the cavalry arrives at Dol Guldur. Because of course, if it hasn't, then we're going to have a fight with the with the the orc army at Dol Guldur before. I mean, that that orc army has to survive to get to the Lonely Mountain. We do need an orc army to show up at the Lonely Mountain. After all, um, the Battle of Five Armies will be quite desolate without them. So, um, but but yeah. So I, I mean, the idea certainly the idea that Sauron sends off the goblin army to the Lonely Mountain after. The death of Smaug at Lake Town um, 
that's perfectly sound. I mean, that, that would make perfect sense. Um, so, so I agree that that's, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a good interpretation. Um, I, I'm not sure I believe it. Cause again, that, that, yeah. ar- that army sure did look like it was moving to me. Um, but you know, that, that I agree that that's a very sensible. And I do think, I, I think the other thing I brought up was, it would just be kind of what a coincidence would it be that Gandalf shows up at the front door just as the army's leaving? I mean, that was the other, you know, argument in favor of what Philip's saying. Right. Again, I'm not necessarily saying I believe that, but that's another, you know, it's like, isn't it interesting that Gandalf showed up just as the army was marching out? <laughs> right. Right. So I don't know. Uh, that's a toughie. I, fortunately, thank heavens our riddle wasn't around this question. Right. <laughs> yes. But. Shall I now do conundrum? Okay, yeah, let's do the last conundrum. And again, like we did last time, this is a character that we have not made much mention of. Yeah. Will the Witch King make an appearance at the Battle of Dol Guldur? Alan, go put that up. Will the Witch King make an appearance? Well, there are two other things that we have speculated that the Witch King could plausibly be occupied with doing at this particular point. Um, uh, Number one... He could be leading a team of snorkelers and scuba divers <laughs> in searching the beds of the Great River for the Ring of Power. That's one option. The other so option. So now you've got me with a picture of him with fl- with yes, uh, flippers on. Exactly. The other option. Or the other one is wearing the carpenter's belt, right? Yeah, that he is in Mordor at Baradur. Leading the construction and cleaning team, who is like beating the rugs and dusting the chandeliers and uh, constructing the new wings of Baradur, uh, in order to make so we have we have either him as aquatic search team leader or him as construction foreman uh, at Baradur. Seeing him in either one of these roles in the film would delight me for the rest of my life. Um, if I could see the Witch King in a snorkel and flippers looking for the ring of power, or if I could see him in a carpenter's tool belt or in a little maid's apron while he beats the rugs, <laughs> um, I would frankly have little more to live for at that point. But I doubt we will see the Witch King engaged in either one of these thrilling activities. Rather, I quite suspect that he's going to be present. And that here again, you know, I... It's not that I believe that every, you know, every reference that comes early in the story is necessarily going to bear fruit, you know, is necessarily going to be come back to later on. Um, but I, I, I he, just like I was talking about Elrond's sortie against the, the, the orcs as one of my primary rationales um, for, you know, seeing that as merely an anticipation of what we're going to see Elrond do later on. Um, those anticipations aren't always fulfilled, of course, but um, uh, but so too would I see the attack of the Witch King on Radagast, the unsuccessful attack of the Witch King on Radagast uh, in film one, would would seem to me to be uh, yeah, foreshadowing yeah. of That's his involvement. You know, the... The big question in my mind, again, I, and I brought this up before, Jackson mentions, oh, you know, he said it in the director's commentary of the extended edition of movie one when they show the Morgul Blade, when they unwrap it at the White Council. Right. And um, and Jackson says, oh, yes, this blade will figure, you know, has, you know, has a role to play or, you know, it'll figure into the story. Well, if it's supposed to be getting back into the hands of the Witch King, how the heck does it get back into the Witch King's hands? I don't know. I mean, I, right. I, I can't imagine anybody 
of the any of the white hats at Doggold are trying to wield the blade. Right. And so what is like are they did they carry it with them and it accidentally slips out of their belt and the witch king picks it up? I don't know. I mean that's just strange to me. I I, I again I'm glad we didn't make a riddle out of this because I have absolutely no idea how that Morgul blade is going to show up again. And how yeah, I mean, and why would they even bring it? You know, I mean, even if Elrond does come, why would he even bring it? I don't. I, maybe there's a rationale. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. Strange. Um, Very strange. Yeah, but um, so you're a yes, correct? Are you, I am you're a yes. A yes, yes I do think the Witch King is. Oh my! I do I think, think that the Witch up. King is coming. Um, I mean, they don't. They don't really waste. I'd like to think they don't waste film on stuff that they're not going to be re-showing. You know, something that small, like you said, his attack on Radagast. It's got to circle back, and he's got to show up again, I would think. Right, but see, here's the, here's the, here's the counter-argument. I mean, here's the argument for no. Um, what, what then the heck are the Nazgul doing? I mean, the Nazgul didn't come out when Gandalf was there. Is there a reason the Gandalf, you know, that the, the Nazgul didn't come out when Gandalf was there? Um, are we going to get the full Nazgul arrayed against, you know, the White Council? Maybe we do. There's, there's a movie title: The Full Nazgul. The Full Nazgul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The whole nine. Well, it, 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 you're right, and I'm frustrated about that because then why did we have to go to the High Fells? Yes. Other than I guess. Uh, Gandalf beginning to suspect that it's Sauron, I suppose. I don't know. <sighs> no, I mean, that's still... I think the High Fell scene still ranks as my least favorite scene in the entirety just, of the first two films. It's like a non-sequitur. It makes no it? sense. I mean, it, yeah. um, I, I, I mean, again, as you say, the function that it seems to play in the film is as a... as, you know, sort of the... The, the turning point for Gandalf when he realizes that it was Sauron, that seems to me so unnecessary. And, um, and... I mean, he didn't need to go... to For him to realize it was Sauron at Dol Guldur, he does it in the moment when he's there facing him. He didn't need to have gone to the Highfells to, you know... To yeah. Begin. I mean, we don't get a sense of, Saur- of Gandalf having any kind of suspicion, really. Do we? Well, After no, Highfells, I mean, but the, and really... the Morgul blade is enough. You know, I mean, the, yeah, the, Mor- the Morgul is enough at least to confirm. Um, I mean, he was going to go anyway, right? I mean, is he going right. to go anyway? I mean, right. It, right. It, it's it's so I don't know. I mean, I guess you know, perhaps it. Uh, I'm I'm not saying that it's completely irrational. Like I know they have thought through their script and story in the films, and and I'm not. Uh, you know, sometimes I watch movies and I feel like, you know, the screenwriters have done a really slapdash job and have not really thought through their story. Um, and sometimes I feel like the objections I end up having to a movie, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they were things that really just hadn't flat, hadn't occurred to the to the writers of the story. That's the right. impression that it gives. I don't think that of, you know, of, of these of these writers. You know, I... Um, Oh wait, sorry, I'm losing you a little bit here. Hang on, I'm still losing you. Can I just ask are the are the other listeners losing Trish? Here's a quick question. Did anything Trish just said make sense to anybody besides me? Okay, good. Brian is getting Robo Trish also, yes, so was I. What a bummer. Okay, I'm getting you now. Are you getting me now? Yeah. Okay. What a bummer. I'm so sorry. That's okay. Sorry you didn't even hear me. Um, 
I said, wouldn't it? Re- isn't it really more a, a, an editing thing where the story gets chopped up in the editing rather than that the script writing was choppy? Yeah, I, I, sometimes I suspect that that's the case. Um, but you know, I sometimes I don't know. <laughs> I um, one of the things that I find myself least able to wrap my own brain around. I am such like I always like to go back and do things in the proper order you know i mean i've talked about this before i'm like the guy who always starts at book one and goes right through a series and 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 the way i know that all films are shot out of sequence um right i understand that and i even understand why that happens and i'm and and i would probably do it myself that way if for some unknown reason i were ever put in charge of a film um but the way in which you know you start with the film and then stuff happens as you go along, right? That is, like, often the scene that's actually shot doesn't come out exactly the way that the writer or even the director had it in, in, in their heads, right? Not to mention right. the fact that the writer and director are different people. So, you know, if if there's a difference in vision between what the director sees a certain character doing or how a certain scene unfolding, or even with the actor, you know, the actor just sort of, like, takes a, a line of dialogue in a different direction you can have like things developing um you know you can get this division between the initial concept of what the, of what was written and what actually happens but it's not done in order so it can't build organically you know right, right. um so like if you if that happens in a scene that you do ter- two-thirds of the way through the film and then you later on you get you know them shooting a film a scene from the beginning of that's going to be at the beginning of the film but like by then the actor's thinking about things very differently you can end up with something really you know and, and then you just do this like mashup at the end where you're like now we take all these things which in the minds of the actors who were part of it you know in the minds of the you know it, it, it might have felt like that the thing might have grown and taken on a life of its own as you were filming except oh by the way the scenes that you were filming you know are nothing like in that order in the actual film so you know the way that the, that this, the, is, this is why we give a grain of salt to the actors in part input, yeah because they don't because they don't really know the final product you know yeah. they they know what they were thinking and they know what they and so there's certainly like some things that they you know that they know or don't know i mean like I, you know presumably richard armitage is 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 aware of the fact of whether or not he had a deathbed scene like i, I i'm sure he knows <laughs> that you know um but uh but but yeah like they, but they he doesn't know it might get cut out right <laughs> he doesn't know that uh yeah and, and so anyway i just all of these things to me it's one of the things when i when i when i think about sort of this stuff and i i, I kind of wonder how often is the the kind of emotional incoherence that sometimes a, a movie that's not put together really well will have um, and sometimes people say well that's bad editing uh, but I wonder you know I, I wonder to what extent it's just like the you know the way that it happened um, I, mean, I guess this is one reason why I pref- you know when it comes to acting and stuff it seems to I mean, why I pr- in some ways prefer stage drama to film acting yeah. you know because yeah. again with a stage drama you're putting on a play you know, the thing builds momentum as you go. You know, the way the actors play off each other, the way that they play off the audience, you know, there's there's there, there's a kind of emotional logic to the proceeding I, I, of a story, you know, on stage. And I think there are actors who agree with you in that regard in terms of their own 
you know, their own profession. Right, preferring stage, stage acting for, to, yeah. For just that reason, yeah. Right, right. But yeah. it's it's just, it's one of the things that I, and, and again, it's 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 hard because I know I would have such a hard time doing it. I could never be, not that I could ever be an actor at all, but I could never be a film actor for that reason. Like, I couldn't be like, how, how am I supposed to know, you know, right. to really put myself into where this character would be three quarters of the way through this film when I haven't shot the other scenes yet, you know? And well, I, think about think about Martin Freeman and, and Andy Serkis doing the Riddle Game. Very first thing, very first thing they ever did. Yeah. Together, yeah. Uh, their first thing Martin did as as Bilbo was the Riddle Game. Right. You right. Know, that's pretty interesting. It is. I mean, and it's amazing. I mean, it, it makes it it's it, it makes it the more impressive to me. You know, yes. both on the actors' parts and on you know, basically when it works well, when the actors do a really good job, and when, right. as certainly was the case in the Riddle Game scene, and uh, and 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 when a film works, um, it seems to me like uh, um, it's a uh, miracle. Yeah, it, yeah, it does. It does. <laughs> it's kind of like, to, to me. I guess that's where the director. I guess where, that's where the director does come into play, isn't it? <laughs> Stitching all, all these non chronological scenes together into a cohesive story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, but it's it's anyway. I'm 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 like kind of rambling here, but uh, well, I have over three quarters of the people have voted. Shall okay. I? Okay, all right, let's close it. Okay, and as and as I think should come as no surprise. Wow, hundred percent. Okay, nobody was going for the no. We Nobody's going. Think everybody thinks the Witch King's going to be there. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, well, here's the other counter argument. Here's the other no answer. The other no answer is the one that says there's not really going to be a battle. That is, you know, there's not going to be a, a sort of a final big boss confrontation with Sauron. Right. You know, that, that right. the, the, the feigning to flee is going to be happening right away. And they're going right. to come, and they're going to be a bunch of orcs, and they're going to be like, okay, uh, um, you know, prepare for the big boss fight, and then it doesn't happen. Um, the only contradiction to that that I can hang on on or grasp at as a drowning man to a straw <laughs> is um, Philippa Boyens in the first year's Comic-Con saying, oh, Galadriel really kicks ass in the, the right. Battle of Dol Guldur. Right. But so. that could still be true if, like, you know, again, they have a sort oh. of significant token orc resistance. Um, yeah, and then they true. get through the orcs and f- and are getting ready for s- the confrontation with Sauron himself and or yeah. the Witch King, and then it just doesn't happen. And they find that it, there's nobody home. Right, yeah, right. Um, so, you know, <clears throat> conceivably, that could happen either way. <sighs> well, this is going to be fun, because I have a feeling that a lot of what we're talking about will be teased out at us in the trailers, you mm-hmm. know, after the Riddle Game's over. So this mm-hmm. fall, we're going to have a lot of fun dissecting what, you know, vlogs and everything else that we end up being, you know, fed Yep. By the Warner Brothers slash Jackson machine. Yep. 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 Agreed. Agreed. Okay. I should... Well, uh, we're at the end. Yeah, we're I should done. let everybody go. We are finished. Yes. Not too bad. Not terrible. No, no. Not terrible at all. Um, very good. So I, don't have to, I don't have to hang my head when I talk to Laura. <laughs> no. No. That's just a little <laughs> over an hour and a half. We're good. We're good. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, very good. So thanks, everybody. It's always really fun talking about uh, listener comments. Um, I love to hear the thinking you guys are doing and both the questions you ask and sort of the stories you guys are thinking about. I want to encourage everybody who's listening to to participate in this. Uh, You know, if you go 
to the Riddles in the Dark uh, page on the Mythgard site. You can see the instructions there for joining our discussion forums, um, which are beginning to gain a little more momentum now. Um, and uh, and and there's there's a, you know, a great space there for these kinds of um, you know sort of longer things and 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 you know telling your version of the story and stuff. Uh, so I strongly encourage you. Um, if you go to the mythgard.org, M-Y-T-H-G-A-R-D.org website, you will see a, uh, a reference, you'll see a, a link to the Riddles in the Dark page on the right-hand side in the Quick Links box, and on that page is a description in, in the top section about how to get to the And forums. I should say, yeah, it's in the top section. It's under the section subheaded Talk Amongst Yourselves. It doesn't right. pop out at you right away, so it's under the Talk Amongst Yourselves. I also would recommend that you go there because what I've read today was ex- excerpts. Right. Okay, there's a lot more that, in fact, all of the people I quoted today have to say, plus other people. So if you want to get into the conversation, do go over there and see what else they, they, they said in their, in their posts. Yes, yes. Yes, we encourage you to join in the conversation. So uh, I will say, as always, thanks for listening, and Godspeed.